He picks up a Bible at that point and then does that whole thing that we've all done at some point in life, just like flips it open. Like, he's so desperate. You're like, just say something to me, right? And then, you know, I just feel like that's so us. And then just like the whole finger down. What does this verse say? And you're like, oh, boy, that's off. You know, whatever. Um, and yet, for this time, it, in this scenario, it works for him, right? And here's the verse that he reads. It comes from First, or sorry, Romans chapter 13, verse 13 and 14. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, right? Because even back then, when the night comes, Things get freaky. Not in carousing, uh, in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. He's like struggling with all of this stuff. He's got all the money, all the fame, all the stuff. And, and he's living this kind of dual life and he realizes he needs to change my habit. And then this verse, and he's like, there. And, and he writes how that was the moment when he goes, that's what I needed to hear. And the translation of this is basically knock it off, right? You can do this. Um, and I know this is how it like supposedly worked for Augustine and who am I to challenge his story, but is this how it actually works? Is this how, how you should like, like read the Bible? <laughs> like at home, you just like, whenever you're struggling, just flip it open and finger down and whatever. Is that, is that it? Or is that, um, is that another example of us trying to be kind of meaning makers? I mentioned this at the end of last series, like we're, we, there's something in us that wants to connect things that like aren't really to be connected, but it's a sign from God. And I, I, I was going through struggles and then I read this verse and I was like, oh, and it's like, how do you argue with somebody who had that kind of an experience? You can say that's never worked for me 99 times and it may have worked for them the one time and you just think maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe I don't own the right Bible and maybe I keep flipping to Leviticus and I keep, I got to pick a different book. I got to start somewhere else uh, on this or whatever. How much, it leads us to this question, a question that maybe you've wrestled with. And by the way, especially, we know that we're a church for people who don't typically like church. And perhaps for you, a big hindrance has been the uh, in inaccessibility of the Bible. And uh, you've tried and you've done that, or you've, you know, you've gotten desperate. Or even people post verses on the internet, and you're like, I don't think I understand that. I don't think you do either, but that's fine. Like, maybe you do, but I, I'm struggling with this. And so... Um, I, I, especially if, if that thing has been a hurdle for you. You're all in on the community. You like the community piece of it. You like gathering together. Um, you, you like that there's something for your kids. You like that it's, you know, it's fun, it's short, it's whatever. Um, uh, and it, it, the Bible, you're like, I'll put, uh, I don't know if that's a, I know it comes with it. I know you can't be like, I like, I, I like the church. I'll take a pass on the Bible. And you know, you know, you can't do that. Um, you can't do that. Just so you know, um, in case you were like, well, can you? Uh, no. So how do, you, how do you navigate a book, um, a really collection of, of books that's like really, really old and, and like doesn't read the same as everything else? How much of this Bible that you have on your phone or in your hand or at home or whatever is prescriptive? This is a big piece of it. As in, it's telling me what I should do. Case in point, this Romans chapter 13 part. Um, and then how much of it is just simply descriptive? Here's what we did, either we being the early church in its primitive form trying to make sense of the death and the resurrection of Jesus or the nation of Israel as they kind of navigate the exodus out of Egypt and in this new promised land and fighting the Syrians in the north, Babylonians in the east, all this kind of stuff. Like, is it, is it telling me to do something or is it merely reenacting for them what they went through and here's what uh, they do? What's the ratio of that and is that even important to think about? I bought a book recently um, 
uh, that kind of has influenced the series. In fact, if you text the word notes uh, or you get the notes thing on your phone or go to eastlakeshirecities.com slash notes, you'll see three books um, that I've kind of uh, highlighted as kind of reference points for the series that you can, if you want to take and read and expand upon this. But the, the book has sat, I have a chair in our, in like our living room and with a little thing on the side, bookshelf deal. And it sat there for the last couple of weeks as I've been uh, you know, preparing and reading through some of this stuff, studying for this. And one of the books is called How the Bible Actually Works by Peter Enns. And my daughter, Jovi, who just turned seven, walks up one day and she's, she's in that, uh, she's, she's reading now and she's doing a great job. And so she reads everything and she'll read it out loud for us to prove to us that she can still read in case we forgot yesterday that she can't. And so she walks over, and she reads, and she says, how the Bible actually works. She goes, that's silly, Dad. Everyone knows how it works. You just read it, right? Really, really snobby-like. And, and, I, and I thought to myself, I mean, is that true? Is that how it works? Like, you just read it. Now, I didn't argue with a seven-year-old, but I thought that's important. That's funny for us. Like, do you think, do we think that's silly, you just read it. Like for me to say, okay, this is going to be a four-part series on how the Bible actually works, and you going, oh, good, I can skip the next three weeks. I already know how it works. You just read it, right? <laughs> is that what you do? Do you read the Bible the same way that you read the Iliad or John Grisham or Where the Crawdads Sing or maybe like a self-help book, right? You're, you are a badass or uh, Girl Stop Apologizing or whatever it is. Throughout this series, I want to talk you through how... I personally, quote unquote, read it, all right, which, asterisks, uh, which may not be right, uh, but at least I'm telling you it's thought out, and there's like an intentionality behind it, so I may be completely wrong, but if you've ever left one of our talks and thought something to the effect of, I've heard that verse a million times, but I've never heard it like that, or if you would say something like this, perhaps, right, when you talk about it, I can connect the dots to relevancy in my life, but then I go home and I read it for myself, and it's just, it's a little harder for me to do it. I don't enjoy it as much, which reveals, by the way, a top life principle for me in my life, which is basically this. Food tastes better when somebody else makes it. Have you noticed that in life? It's very, very true uh, for me. But when there are certain personalities, when you have cooking skills, my wife does not go to a restaurant and live by that same principle. When she gets her food, because she's good at cooking, she says, I can make this better at home. And she's not being arrogant. She's being real about this thing. I can make this better at home. Whereas I say, food always tastes better with somebody else. You do see how those two things can work out very well and coexist, right? <laughs> you should marry somebody who thinks on both of those. Anyways. Um, so with that in mind, we can... Because I don't have the skills, I settle for it tastes better when somebody else does it for me. But we can all see how if you knew what you were doing, you can really come to the, the idea of I can make this better at home. So uh, for the next couple of weeks, three, four, I'm not sure exactly how long this is going to go yet, but um, I want to teach you how to cook, all right? So welcome to culinary school for Bible reading. Here we go. Um, if I could sit down and start with you, where would I start in terms of, here's what you hold in your hand. We could go through the fact that it's not a book, but it's a collection of books with lots of different authors. Authors, It spans uh, somewhere about 25, 2,600 years between the first writings and the last writings. It's a, it's a long ways. You're talking, um, we, we are closer 
uh, to the invention of gunpowder, right, right now, than the New Testament writers who wrote the last few books of the New Testament and the original authors of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So, like, that gap is, is massive. It's huge. It's very, very different. Um, so, my, I, I would have three things that I would wish you could write in the margin of your Bible or like as a little reminder, every single time you dive into a personal Bible study or um, just a reading or, or whatever, I would love these three things to be like, don't forget, don't forget as you read this, this is one, two, and three, these three things. So you're gonna, if you're taking notes, um, here's, here's the three characteristics of the Bible that you must, I think, um, keep in mind involved in this. Number one is this. Uh, this book is ancient. I, I mentioned uh, the, the span between the, the first author and the last author and all that's included in there. Um, and then that gap between even like New Testament Hebrews or, or First Peter or whatever book was written last to us, we're talking a, a really stinking long time. My favorite commentary on the Old Testament is a, a series, um, New International Commentary on the New Testament, and their they're little editorial at the beginning of every commentary includes this little phrase or this teaching that I, it stuck with me forever that I, I, I never forget. It says this, the past is another country. Uh, they do things differently there. The past is another country. If you've ever been to another country, if you've ever traveled somewhere and typically developing countries, you notice that they do things differently there. Have you ever seen with your own eyes a wicker basket next to a toilet? You ever notice that? If you've gone to a developing country, if you don't know where I'm headed with this, buckle up. You are in for a treat. I went to Costa Rica with my dad on a mission trip when I was either 10 or 11. I couldn't quite exactly remember. And uh, just to clarify, not bachelor version of Costa Rica, because I know they just went there. Not that one at all. That looked nothing like the Costa Rica that I went to. I went to poor, poverty-stricken, Bible school Costa Rica version uh, of that. Our hotel did not have swimming pools, botanical gardens, or dangerous golf carts, but it did have <laughs> wicker baskets next to toilets. And innocent Brent thought in his 10-year-old brain, how much gum are people throwing away when they're doing their business? So I'd sneaked a quick peek under the lid of the wicker basket. And life principle number two uh, is that simply this, that there are things in life that you cannot unsee once you have seen them. So food tastes better the other way, and then this one as well. Um, and I, I could tell, my dad noticed right when I walked out, like something's wrong, like they're not flushing things here, like this is so weird, what's happening? I'm lost in this. And uh, my dad said something to the effect of, well, they, they do things differently here, and there's a good explanation for it. Their piping system can't handle the... Stop there, Dad. We're fine. We get it. I get it. I understand. You don't need to come up with a, a, a word for this. And once you understand the reasons why they do it the way that they do it, and it's not because the aroma is so attractive to them, you can appreciate, um, which is the wrong word probably, you can understand their behavior, and you can adjust your perspective accordingly when you're on their turf. When I'm here, I need to adjust my expectations and my thoughts. I can't be like, well, this is the right way to do it, right? I mean, who are you? I know the sacrificial system found throughout the early books of the Old Testament looks tedious. If you've ever like, started this, well, I'm going to read through the Bible, and I'm, I'm just going to go from front to back, and you get a few, a few books in, and all of a sudden you're like, man, this just feels tedious and cruel, like, especially to animals, right? Uh, but when you realize that this people group is coming out of and surrounded by pagan Canaanite religious systems, that this is what they grew up with, this is what they're familiar with, this is what everybody around them is doing, then the movement 
away from sacrificing your child to appease the gods and instead going, hey, what if it was like a goat? What do you think about that? That's like progress. Do you know what I mean? Like this is a step forward for them, even though it feels incredibly backwards to us. These people were intent with these authors, these, when you read it, and specifically our issue a lot of times is with the Old Testament. So the focus is going to be on the Old Testament because the New Testament, like what did the early church do with, with Jesus and all that kind of stuff? I don't think that we have as much revulsion towards those kinds of writings or like an inability to kind of make sense about how that matters to me in 2020. Um, but specifically Old Testament writings, if you ever thought, that just feels like, I don't, I don't even know. I, I, I totally get it. It's ancient. Like, it wasn't meant for you. It was meant for them trying to make sense of their situation and, and their way of interpreting things. They were oblivious to our questions and our concerns. They do things or they did things differently there. And when we read the Bible, we need to respect the distance. Otherwise, the Bible becomes too familiar, too much like us, too comfortable, too white American, U.S., whatever, too, too us-based, too obsessed with consumerism and, and how do I handle myself on social media and all this kind of stuff. The Bible's antiquity reminds us that they do things differently there. And I think that's the easy one. I'll start, we started off with that one to be like, yeah, I think that nobody really argues with that one. All right, number two is this. Uh, the other thing, I would love for you to remember that it's in antique almost. It's really, really old. It speaks in that language. And then number two is it's ambiguous. Uh, and here's what I mean by ambiguous. It's interesting that the Bible throughout its history has been used to do so many different things. One, justify both slavery and its abolition, justify both keeping women subordinate to men and fully emancipating them. It's been used to justify violence against one's enemies and condemn it, justify political power and denounce it. Most political candidates, regardless of which party you're from or whatever, claim to read the Bible and say it informs their decisions and policymaking, and sometimes they use the exact same verse. It's unbelievable. Everyone interprets. You have to. Everything should be, well, here's this verse, asterisk, subject to interpretation. Even when you come and listen to me on Sunday morning and I say, well, here's this stuff and here's some history reasons why I think this is the way that we should read it and here's the words that they use and what Paul says here, but it's subject to interpretation. And any time that we read this, we're in I'm interpreting something and I may get it right and I may get it wrong in this way. And it's, it's about, that's part of the process and you have to interpret everything in that way. And if you're like, well, no, it's, it's, it's pretty plain and clear, then then listen, if, 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 if you feel like, no, the Bible, there's clarity in this, and I know exactly what it says at first read, then there's going to be some things that are going to come up that you're, I, I would just be like, well, what do you do with this? Like, for instance, let's for a few minutes look at the parental advice, advice to parents from the book of Proverbs, a seemingly safe book about like how to live a decent life. It was probably a curriculum for dads to be able to raise their sons and daughters. Uh, they didn't have schools, so this would be like a training advice and make sure that they handle their money in this way. It has lots of different things that sound really good and look good on, on Instagram posts and everything like that. So, But in specifically, uh, addressed to parents and raising children, here's some advice. Ready? Uh, verse 18 of Proverbs chapter 19, discipline your children while there is hope, right? Which is like, I get it. Like that one, I'm starting off really simple because you're like, oh, I, but I understand that one, right? The interpretation in this one is hurry up and discipline your kids early and often so they don't grow up to be fill in the blank with whatever your worst nightmare is, right? A starving artist, a musician in a band, a pastor, somebody who needs a Kickstarter to feed their family. Whatever it is, you're like, do it early and often. So that one's whatever. Number two, uh, another one, Proverbs 22, verse six, train up a child. 
in the way he should go. And I just left this one blank because so many of you growing up in church, you probably finished this phrase for me. Even if you're not really that religious, you've probably heard this one. And when he or she is old, she will not depart from it. This is why my 12-year-old daughter owns a Sonic sweatshirt, right? I'm trying to train up a child in the way she should go. This is why the first words that my kids learn, the very you know, part of the first few words, is go Zags, just after dad and just before mom. But it's right in there where I want them to know this is going to be part of it. And then the question becomes, all right, if that's true and that plays out the way that it is, if that's the parental advice, it's very, very clear. We know exactly how this works. The process is you train up a child, and when they're old, it's like, it feels like it's almost like a guarantee, like they're not going to depart from it. But what happens when they do? Whose fault is that? Well, maybe you just didn't do a good enough job raising your child, training up your child. And we're almost, it's, it's as if the parents are to blame for the result of their kids, even though you go, I felt like I did. I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm not whatever, but like, I'm, I'm not sure. What if they don't turn out all right? Is that a reflection on me? Is that a reflection on my spouse? Maybe that one. Maybe that one's part of it. And if you're hoping for step-by-step instructions, you are out of luck. Reading the book of Proverbs on child-rearing is like hiring an Edward Jones financial advisor, and at the end of your meeting, them telling you, well, invest your money wisely, you'll be all set for retirement. And you're like, uh, yeah, I know. I need step-by-step instructions. Like, what stocks am I doing? What do I need to do exactly? Well, you just try your best, and it's going to work out all right. Well, I don't, I feel like I want a refund. I, I don't, what are you doing for me here? And even when there seems to be instructions, even when you feel like, well, I can read this as a kind of a step-by-step step instruction, you've heard that little phrase, basic instructions before leaving earth, that's B-I-B-L-A, super creative. It just doesn't actually translate. Because in this way, let's look at some step-by-step instructions. Verse 20, uh, chapter 23, verse 13, for, verse 13, do not withhold discipline from your children. If you beat them with a, with a rod, they will not die. Well, that's a relief. That's good to know. Sounds like pesky CPS might be getting involved, but at least they're not going to die, right? How the Bible addresses this one topic of child rearing is a window into how inadequate, and I'd argue as a holistic perspective, unbiblical, to view it as a rule book uh, for the way to be able to um, do life. I think it's more than that, you guys. Like, let's not settle on that. That's actually settling. And very quickly, because I've actually talked about this one before, um, if we go away from, like, a, like, here's instructions, here's rules, here's this, definitely do this, as opposed to what else I'm going to propose to you in this way. Listen to the immediate contrast of this. If you think the Bible tells me to do it's just a matter of obedience, God is hovering over us, making sure that we do exactly what it says, then what do you do with this one? Proverbs, let's stick with Proverbs and move away from parental advice, but Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4 and 5, do not answer fools according to their folly, or you will be a fool yourself. In other words, don't respond to those Twitter trolls. Answer fools according to their folly, or they will be wise in their own eyes. These, these I, I did not change anything. This is literally how it reads, one right after the other. There's no gap in between. It's as if the author of the Proverbs is saying, definitely do not cater to social media trolls. Oh, wait, no, definitely do respond. Wait, I, I forgot. Mind change in this way. These two clearly contradictory Proverbs are not a problem that needs fixing. The biblical writers are not idiots, you guys. Placing these two opposite sayings side by side, give us a snapshot into how wisdom works in this way. If we're looking for the Bible to be a rule book, not only will we be frustrated, but we'll miss the wisdom this pairing contains. It takes wisdom to read a situation, 
The reason this is in here is because this, pro, this guy who's trying to instruct them, trying to teach them, hey, read a situation. Sometimes you just want to keep your mouth shut, but sometimes you got to speak up because they're idiots and they need to know it. Not that aggressively, but you know what I mean. There's a time to do this and a time to not do this. Sometimes it's better to answer fool. Sometimes it's not. Doing the best as we can to figure out life, to discern how or if a certain proverb applies right here and right now is not an act of disloyalty towards God. Rebellion is his clear rule book for life. It's our, rather instead our sacred responsibility as people of faith. There is vast ambiguity in this book, and yet it's there intentionally. It's an invitation to read the situation. This book is ancient. It's, they do things differently there. You have to understand why, and then you also get to see how they responded to it and realize there's ambiguity involved in us. It's an invitation to wisdom. What would the expression of following a God who loves and cares for us in this way look like in my life? If I'm going at it looking for Augustine's principles tell me exactly what to do, we're missing out on this call to exercise wisdom and going, what if there were guiding principles for you in this stuff? What if there was important logistics and steps involved in the interpretation process for you? And finally and lastly, and this one it's going to take probably the most time, but I think it's really, really good. Um, diverse. It's ancient, uh, it's ambiguous, and it's diverse. Different voices coexist in the Bible because the Bible records how writers in their day and in their own way dealt with the antiquity and the ambiguity of their sacred tradition. It's as if they're saying, here's basically what we needed to know then. It's, yes, it's historical, but it's, you don't read it like a history book. You're looking at the whys behind this. You're looking at the expression of God in the lives and the individuals and the cultures of the, the, of the people who were called by his name, Israel, and, and then this early church. Um, what I want to do for the, just our, our remaining few minutes together this morning is to deep dive into Passover meal material here. So I know that that's not like what you signed up for, but um, it's, it's an intense and it's it's... It's something that there's a lot of logistics and, and stuff, especially in the Old Testament, about how things operate. If we're looking, if we're trying to contradict or say it's not just step-by-step -step stuff, it very, very clearly was written out as step-by-step -step instructions in this way. So, Brent, how dare you act and pull and, and like this act of disloyalty in pulling this out? Well, let's look at some of this, and then perhaps maybe that could speak into how we would then read and, and understand the diverseness of what we have going on. All right. Um, in Exodus chapter 12, in the first Passover happened because uh, Moses goes into Egypt. He does the, the plagues and tells Pharaoh, like, you got to let the, the, these are God's chosen people, Yahweh's chosen people. It's a, against the gods that you serve, and our God's better than that. Let us go. We're gonna, we have this land that he has promised us. We're going to exit out, Exodus, out of Egypt and into this new promised land. Um, and as they do that, there's like different plagues that take place. And the 10th one is this angel of death thing. And, the, and there's going to be this commemorative, remember the depths and the, 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 um, the, the greatness of what was done for you on your behalf. So you're going to remember this event forever as a people group. There's going to be a tradition involved in this. You are going to eat a meal and you're going to uh, celebrate Passover, the passing over of the angel on this. And so there's instructions involved, and the expectations are very, very clear. 
Early on in, in chapter 12, it's supposed to be eaten in homes and roasted and definitely not boiled. Here's, here's classic examples. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. Two, two massive things. Eat it in homes and do not boil it. You got to roast it over a fire. Um, and, and then the, the specific, like, here's, I want you to do this as a lasting ordinance. You do this forever. This is not like do this for the next five years and then after this generation dies. No, teach it to the next generation. They need to know. Fast forward to the future. Deuteronomy chapter 16. Again, Exodus, one of the earliest books written. It's the second book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, um, and, and written very, very early. Deuteronomy probably written quite a bit later, actually. Uh, probably written during the kings and um, during a, a different time frame where different needs are involved in this. And look what happens in chapter 16, verse 2. They go through. Deuteronomy is basically a recounting of all of the different laws that show up in Exodus and Leviticus. So if you've ever read through the Bible, you read Exodus and Leviticus, this all feels like new material. You get to Deuteronomy, it's like, I've read this before, deja vu material. Why is this? It's a second sermon, basically. It's a reminder for them. Um, the, the ancient story of, of Israel is that they got into the land and then immediately they begin to do things that made them forget where they came from and who kind of pulled them out of this. And at one point, one of the kings discovers like this, this the old, like the, literally the Torah or the first five books, uh, the, the old law of Moses. And he's trying to kind of like cause a revival in the land so that he rereads the law. He brings everybody together. And this is probably when the book of Deuteronomy got pulled together. And we're kind of making sense of the story and we're reenacting and we're re-talking about this. And they're at a kind of a different state of mind on this. And here's what happens. Here's, this is, this is exciting for weird people like me. But anyways, hopefully it's exciting for you. Verse 2 says this, sacrifice is the Passover to the Lord your God, an animal from your flock or herd at the place at the place the Lord will choose as a dwelling for his name, not their home anymore. This is different. The rules have changed. And the reason the rules have changed is because the nation itself had kind of forgotten about God and kind of moved away from this. This is the author of Deuteronomy's attempt to get people to come to church, to the temple for them. For them, it was a temple, not a church. But come back to the temple. Don't do this in the isolation of your homes. We want to make this a religious thing. This is them telling them, you do this. You need to do this. You must do this. And you cannot do this in your home. You must do it here. It'd be the equivalent of me saying, you should read your Bible, but don't do it at your house. You got to come here to do it. Exclusive. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to build up my own empire here, right? I need, you guys, I need butts and seats. It's hard to preach to an empty room. Please show up every week, right? This is them interpreting this, changing it to kind of make it work for the new needs of that new society. And then he goes on, and you shall cook and eat it, cook it and eat it at the place that you, the Lord your God will um, choose. Um, in other words, the very, th and, and, and in this way, he uses this word here. And this is the same word that he uses earlier to say, you shall not boil it. And this way, it says, you shall not, and that word right there actually means you shall uh, you shall boil it. Now I want you to boil it. They've changed what he specifically said don't do. Now he said, here's what I want you to do. And the, listen, it's interesting because Old Testament writers saw the discrepancy between here's what you shouldn't do. Now they're telling us to do it. So when they interpret it, they put this word right here. They change it in the English, in the English translations. They say, cook it to hide the fact that the law had changed. It's crazy. That's the exact same word. Don't do it. 
and do it in your homes, right? Uh, don't do it this way, but and do it in your homes. Now, come to the temple and do it. And by the way, this time we do want you to boil it because we are the only ones that have to. You got to do it in our special pots, right? And eat, and, and eat it at the place of the Lord, your God. They changed this entirely up. The very thing not to be done in Exodus is commanded to be done in Deuteronomy without even breaking any stride. And another quick addition, if that's not interesting enough for you, it shows up one more time. It's the exact same discrepancy thing. Apparently bothered by how God can give two different instructions for the same meal, the author of 2 Chronicles, which is the, probably the last book written in the Old Testament, um, and this would be done while they're in captivity in Babylon. So this would be, you know, Exodus comes here. Uh, then you've got Deuteronomy kind of in the middle over here. And then way later on in Second Chronicles, you see a, a third version of all of this stuff being talked about. Uh, and here, this author fixes the problem with a little bit of creative thinking. Here's how he fixes the problem. You ready? Second Chronicles chapter 35, verse 13. And they roasted the Passover lamb. They roasted over the fire according to the law of Exodus. And they boiled the holy offerings. All he did was expand this. He created a second category in pots, in cauldrons, in pans, and carried them quickly to all the lay people. He's like, let me solve the problem with the changing. Like, if it's not really instruction for here, it's here, and then it got changed over here because they needed to change it, and there's reasons involved. But we don't like discrepancies, so we're going to make it work. We're going to come up with this brand new, you get to do this and this. It's a both and. And now, now there's no problem. Now everything's all solved. Creative thinking about past laws is already happening in the biblical period. They are already taking into account what do we need now. What we need is people to get back into the temple. All right, well, let's change this up and make this and reinterpret this in our own light. Even though it says lasting ordinance forever, yes, this is what we need in this way. Wisdom in this sense is already at work rethinking older laws for a new situation and bringing together the ancient and the revered tradition with the ever-changing real-life circumstances of God's people over times. These laws had to be revisited and adjusted if future generations are going to hear this voice. And so here's what diversity teaches us. All these different voices, all these different interpretations, all these, it was, it was once like this, but then a new generation come along and their needs were different and so they changed it in this way and then this one was different and they changed it in this way. It shows us how adaption is needed to keep the divine and the human conversation going along. So do you see adjustments? Do you see changes? Of course. The needs of the people changed. Listen, the book that you hold in your hands when you read the Bible, it is ancient. They do things differently there. It's ambiguous because wisdom is called for, and it's diverse, changing over time because the people's needs change over time. So what is the Bible's true purpose when, take, when we take it seriously? When we look at it and say, it's all right, I got to remember, it's antique, it's ambiguous in, in certain ways, and it's diverse, is that it's an invitation to wisdom, that what it's trying to teach you is not step-by-step step instructions with God hovering over you, making sure you do everything right, ready to squash you like a bug if you don't. It's wisdom. I want you and I want me to be able to read this thing and go, what kind of wisdom did this pull in for life? And, and this idea of wisdom being respecting the past, transposing it to the present. How does a God who shows up in the Israelites the way that he deals with them show up in my life in 2020? How does his love for them in that way, his guidance, his protection, show up for me in this way? How it actually works, it's, an inspire, it's a book of inspired wisdom that leads us towards true wisdom. And I'm not the only one that thinks this. Paul writes this in his letter to the Corinthian church, verses, verse 30 of chapter 1. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Wait, Brian, I thought you said that the Bible points us towards wisdom. It does. True wisdom, which according to Paul, 
is the embodied form of Christ. It points us towards this. The entire Old Testament points us towards wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. What do we do in the moment with, with our current things and our, our, our life? And he would say, yes. Look at what Jesus did. Look at the way that he navigated Old Testament law. Look at the way that he navigated ceremonial laws and put people ahead of processes. Look at what he did when he loved people who, like the religious system said, you don't belong, you're not welcome here, this isn't for you, this is way out of your pay grade. And he invites them into this. And all the people who thought they were overqualified, he says, not going to make it, not in, not good enough. You guys, this is an invitation to wisdom. I think the embodied form of that is in Jesus, but this is not, this is not, do not read this as instruction manual stuff. There's wisdom taking place for each generation, and we have the invitation, and we are an interpretive community. What you, you, we never advertise that because it just sounds weird on a website, but this is an interpretive community. We're taking this and saying, how does this, what does this mean for me? How do, I, how do I remain reverent to what he's done in the past? How do I appreciate and, and uh, not change history to make it work whatever I want, you know, however I want to make it say my, the things that I want to do? How do I, make it, how do I not make it justify my needs and desires in spite of, you know, regardless of what happened? I want to ma- remain true to this. I want to look at the historical context for this. But I want to realize that what we are doing and the things that we're experiencing are different. It has so much to say to us if we will look at it and say, what kind of a wisdom is this calling for me for? And how can I use that wisdom to read the situation of my current circumstances and and look at what a God of love is calling me to do in this context? That's how I want you to read the Bible. That's what I want to do every Sunday when we get together and read the Bible. Because at that point, guys, we're cooking. That's what we're doing. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is that you would, uh, for, uh, for all those times in our life where we maybe have been so intimidated by either the, the size of the text of the Bible, the words and the language used, the stories that just, uh, just the, uh, the inability to connect the relevancy of the dots between what took place historically and then how I, I, I live my life, I, that's completely understandable. And yet, I our, my prayer, our prayer is that as we kind of go through this, that maybe this would take on a new light, that, that, that scripture reading is, is, is important for me because I need to know how you've worked through the, hum, the, the human psyche for, for ancient, for so long, and what that could potentially mean for me in my interpretation uh, moving forward of this. Help, it to be, help us to remain true. Uh, we want to remain true to the values and, 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 and what's being taught here, and yet also we want to recognize our spot and our place in uh, reinterpreting this for our uh, generation and our people. So give us the wisdom that we really need. That's what we're ultimately seeking and the courage to do something about it, the courage to open this thing up and actually wonder what it might say about uh, our life and the way that we live out uh, things here in this generation. In your name, amen.